Talking Horse Productions opens its 2023 season with a two-weekend run of the Teresa Rebeck Comedy Seminar. Directed by Russ Scott and featuring David McSpadden, Erin Matteson, Clifton Satterfield, Ginger Corley and Forrest Duncan. The 2011 play centres on four aspiring young writers who have decided to cough up a whopping $5,000 each to pay for Leonard, a former novelist and now celebrated journalist and fiction guru, to give them a 10-week private writing class to help them find their literary voices. But between simmering sexual tensions between the four friends and the withering and cutting opinions of their appointed guru, Leonard, the learning process is far from what they expected. Alliances are made and broken, sex is used as a weapon, and hearts are unmoored in Rebeck's lacerating comedy about power, sex and art. And joining me to chat about the play and what drew them to it are David McSpadden, who plays the hilariously condescending Leonard, and Erin Matteson as the defensive and prickly Kate, who somehow has to bounce back from Leonard's prognosis of her work as being a soul-sucking waste of words. (laughs) (laughs) David and Erin, how lovely to chat with you both about Seminar. Welcome. Well, thanks for talking with us, Diana. Thank you so much for having us. The play opens in a ridiculously capacious Upper West Side apartment in New York, owned by Kate's family, in which the 10-week writing seminar is going to take place. Erin, set the scene for us and tell us a little bit about your three friends, Douglas, Izzy and Martin. Yeah, so Martin is the friend that I've had since high school. He is, I think, Right from the beginning, you can see there is a huge inferiority complex. He is not as well-to-do as Kate or Douglas, but he is the, he's the true artistic genius, I think, of the, of the four of us. But he's also completely rigid and flexible as far as absolute right and wrong. We have Izzy, the total free spirit, who is the one who really paints a picture of the sex dynamics the idea of somebody being aware of what they need to do in order to be successful. And it really shines a light on the double standards between men and women because Izzy is open about her sexuality. She's willing to use it. And there is a a certain amount of scorn that she gets because she is willing to do that and then we have Douglas who I think at this point is almost everybody's favorite character because he's just (laughs) so pretentious you really there's there's a truly great part where he we know that Leonard is getting ready to destroy him and we're all starting to feel bad about it until he just Douglas completely spews his pretentiousness again and then at that point it's it's just all right, Leonard, have at him. But he's he is the one who has the name, the connections. Um, he's also the other member of the group who is more well-to-do as well as Kate. Um, so it's kind of, there's a, a really good sampling of all of these people who might be drawn to this from different avenues, different walks of life. How do you all know each other? Uh, the characters or yeah. us? No, the characters, yeah. So the characters, it's actually described at one point. So Martin and I have been friends since high school. That's, and it's, it's very obvious from the beginning that there is a, 
at least on Kate's part, a desire to be more than friends. Um, but that's a really longstanding relationship. Izzy is somebody that we have both met at parties. We know sort of casually. Douglas is someone that none of us knew at all. He just was one of the four who was selected to be in this seminar. And so, David, Leonard makes his unapologetically pompous entrance in the second scene. He is described as 50, fierce and brilliant. He is such an obnoxious character and you are such a lovely human. Tell me me about Leonard. (laughs) Well, that's that's actually one of the reasons why I really wanted to play this character because it was Honestly, you know, it, it's it's cast against type. It's unlike any other character I, I have really ever played. And to be honest, the fact that he is so full of himself is a part of the appeal of it. And I don't think that Leonard would ever consider himself mean. I don't think he would ever get compassionate enough to think of himself as being mean. <laughs> he just thinks, sees himself as being terribly honest and that he tells people exactly what it is they need to hear. He's he's not there to kind of foster their self-delusions about, you know, what their careers are going to be like or what kind of writers they're going to be, Mm. but just basically tells them, this is what you're good at. This is what you stink at. Why are you wasting your time doing this? You need to do something else. What do we know about the backstory of Leonard? Well, we find out a lot of the backstory of Leonard later on in the play, but what we pretty much know about him is that he was a celebrated novelist in the early part of his career. And then something happened. And since then, he's become like uh, an editor for a major publishing house and has been kind of celebrated and renowned as an editor. I mean, he's, um, I think there's a line where it says he's a rock star editor at this one particular publishing house. And he takes on doing these private writing seminars for whoever can cough up $5,000 to be a part of it. (laughs) He has so many killer lines in the play, all of which are dripping with disdain. And I'm curious how you, as a lovely human, found your inner Leonard and and summoned all that necessary contempt. Well, I'll tell you, a lot of the credit for that goes to my castmates. Really, the the key to, to Leonard's lines is how the other characters set him up for it. Because as soon as one of the characters says something, you can almost hear in your mind how Leonard's going to react <laughs> to it. Um, and that's actually one of the things about about Leonard is that he remembers everything that anyone has said during in any of these seminars because he makes all kinds of callbacks to things that people have said earlier during earlier sessions that just seem to come out of nowhere. And the the, the students of the class suspect, though, that he's kind of out of his mind because there are times where he just goes off on these tangents out of nowhere that, you know, it's like, how did we get here? You know, we're talking right. about this. But he remembers everything. Erin, I read a little of Kate's part, her role, on a, a Saturday morning theatre class at Talking Horse a couple of years ago, and I immediately wished that I was 20 years younger and would have the chance to play her, but I'm too old. What drew you to want to take on her role over Izzy's role? Like, what was it about Kate that really pulled you in? So I think I really, one of the things right off the bat, and it continues to tickle me, is Kate constantly gets a lot of grief from the other characters because 
she's written this story about a girl who's obsessed with Jane Austen. And at one point, there's this devastating takedown from from Leonard in which he basically has pointed out the fact that Kate is writing this character that is, it's her. The narrator is her. She is this girl. And I immediately caught my fascination because I I do enjoy Jane Austen. So I'm not sure that I'm (laughs) as obsessed with it as, as Kate is. But it was just the the aspects of it too. There are so many, and I think this has been the part that has been so fun for all of us. There are parts of our characters that we identify very strongly with, and then other parts that we don't at all. But there are a lot of the parts of Kate, the being a little more reticent, a little more unsure of herself. There's not the free-spirited openness about sexuality that Izzy has. Kate is much more reserved, but once wants to be free. She wants to have that that openness as well, but at the same time is kind of torn between wanting to be like Izzy and and also having disdain for Izzy because of what she's done. And I think there are so many parts of it. I, I know our director said something to us a while back about typically people read this play and they end up hating all of the characters. <laughs> and, and one of the things that I think, and I, I hope that's not the, the takeaway that people have. I think there is so much humanity. There are so many things that each of these characters do that you really do want to smack them. But there are some parts that are so they're so human and they're so vulnerable. There are so many times that that we get a chance to really show sides of a character that that don't always get shown. So it's honestly, I would have been perfectly happy with either one of them. Kate was my preference just because I identified with that character a little bit more, but it's such a it's such a great script. It's the characters are so they're so well written that it, it really would have been fun to do any one of these characters. And the really the really nice thing about it, too, is that with it being a small cast, each one of the characters has a very distinctive relationship with the other four characters. Um, and you can just yeah. you can and you just see that in in the interactions. You know, the way Kate feels about Izzy is different than the way that she feels about Douglas or feels about Martin. And, you know, and the way Leonard treats Izzy is different than how he treats Kate and than how he treats Martin. And it's, it's that's that's one of the things that really makes these characters really rich, I think. Yeah, it is reading it on paper, reading it. My response was, I don't like any of these people. They're all awful. <laughs> but that's always the, the beauty when I, I read a script and then I see it performed is the huge difference. Plays are not meant to be read. Plays are meant to be performed. And so, yes, you add all this extra life and vulnerability and character and richness that on the page you just think, God, these people are awful. <laughs> yeah, and especially one like this. I mean, you you read it and it's... It does seem like they're all horrible people, but it's, I mean, I find myself through the rehearsal process feeling sympathy with with each character, including Mm. Leonard. I mean, I I think he comes across as such a terrible person through most of it, but there are parts of Leonard even that seeing it performed, it, it makes you really feel a lot of sympathy with that character. Well, let me come back to Leonard. Because David, the role was of Leonard was played by the inimitable late great Alan Rickman on Broadway, who people may know for his portrayal of Professor Snape in the Harry Potter movies, another great <laughs> disdainful character. And he, you know, his propensity for theatrical condescension made him so perfect for, for this role of Leonard. But it must be hard, even if you haven't seen the 
didn't see their play in Broadway. It must be hard to get past the ghost of Alan Rickman in this role. So, David, tell me how you mentally wrestled Leonard into your own version of him. How is your Leonard different, do you think, than how Rickman would have played him? Well, I mean, I you know, I can't do what Alan Rickman did with the character, and there's no point in even trying. <laughs> so Liz Leonard is, is truly my Leonard, and he is definitely condescending in his way. He is definitely brutally honest. But I watched a little bit of Alan Rickman's performance and you know, not looking for any kind of guidance, but just getting an idea of what that was like. But something that people who haven't been around me very much aren't aware of is that I actually have a pretty cutting sense of humor. (laughs) And it was actually one of the things that Kirsten Bellman, our AD, said during our early rehearsals. It's like, yeah, have you ever really listened to how David talks sometimes? <laughs> so he was he was in you already, this character. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, it's like there's there's some snarkiness in there that you know if you're if you're not paying attention to, you kind of miss. So, so it, honestly, it wasn't that that part of the character wasn't that difficult. Honestly, the the harder scenes are a little bit later on when you see a little bit of Leonard's vulnerability. And you kind of understand why he's the way he is. Mm. It's about 100 minutes long, I believe, the play. And it's an intensely wordy play, especially for you, David. How difficult was it to get off book for this play compared to other things you've done? Well, it was a challenge. What I did was I started with the end of the play and worked my way forward. Just because I, well, I have so many more lines towards the last half of the play as opposed to the beginning. And the actually, the, the nice thing about Leonard is that there's not many times where Leonard is just sitting on stage and two other characters are talking. If Leonard's on stage, <laughs> Leonard is talking and Leonard is engaged with the other other people. So it's not I don't really lose focus because I'm always in the middle of a conversation with somebody. And that actually makes it much easier as opposed to like when I was in something like 12 Angry Jurors, you know, I'm on stage, but there, I might have three pages where I don't say anything. And you find yourself really trying to focus to make sure you're paying attention <laughs> to where you're at. And but when you're when you're the center of attention, yeah, it's it's. You know, you just don't lose track of where you're at. Erin, I think David mentioned this earlier, but it is a very small cast. It's just five people and it's very fast paced back and forth, which means you really all need to have each other's back because there's so little room to miss a sentence or a paragraph. Talk to me about being in a small cast, especially after your previous experiences of being in large casts. So this has been kind of a fun shift, but it's definitely a a big shift. The last thing that I did was Hamlet, which is a, a large cast, and I was Hamlet. So I kind of had the Leonard experience that time. Most of the time when when I was on stage, it was me talking. So this has been a lot of fun because it is much more that rapid fire dialogue. And it's really been a challenge. It's a lot of fun getting off of the book and finding ways that we can make it very conversational. And I think that's kind of been the key. It's so tight. The dialogue is so clean and sharp. And it really does sound like people having a conversation. So a lot of it has been trusting ourselves, trusting each other, and trusting that 
we are going to know the next line because it's a logical next line, because it makes sense in the context of the conversation that we're having. So a lot of it has been just getting to to have fun and play with, you know, I, I get to have some really fun parts where I get to be on stage with one or two other people and we're having a conversation back and forth, but it is, it's an interesting experience. It's completely different than one of those big casts where everyone's on stage, but people might only have a few lines. I do think it's funny though. There is one scene where I only have a few lines. That was my first scene that I was off book for because I think I have five (laughs) lines in that one. And the thing that is funny though is that it's I have to pay attention so much more because there are two pages and then I have a single line. <laughs> so I have to be listening for that cue line because it's a little difficult to remember. Okay, when when was I supposed to interject with this line? So David, you have done a lot of large cast performances too, and now you've got this small one. What draws you to a small cast show? Like, do you have a preference at this point? You're like, I'm done with small cast. I want to go back to being a large cast. Or or is this like a new way of life for you? They both have appeals because I've done small cast shows before, too. I probably have done more large cast shows, though. What I really like and which is especially true of this cast is that you get to be really tight with each other and you kind of learn how to respond to each other and listen to each other. And this cast got off book really, really early, which was impressive. So we were really listening to each other. And I think you have a lot more fun. You have a chance to kind of explore the unique relationships you have with the other characters when it's just kind of a smaller cast. Part of the thing that I think helps with lines in this particular show is that you're always responding to something. You really have to learn to listen and make sure that you're in the moment when you're on stage. It's a small cast and of course you are in a tiny theatre. I believe the play was originally performed at the 800-seat Golden Theatre in New York and you're performing it in a tiny 70-seat black box theatre. Erin, how does that translate? How does this much smaller space work for this play, do you think? So we actually had a conversation about this the other day and I think this is a play that is ideally suited for a small space. So there is a section towards the end of the play when Leonard is actually, he has a gigantic monologue and the rest of us are reacting. And we've had people, you know, the director, the assistant director, and a a few people who have come in to to watch who've made comments about the fact that they can see the, the facial expressions change as we're listening to Leonard unroll this story. And and those are the kind of things I think it's so great to do something like this in a small space because you're going to miss things like that if it's a giant theater. There are so many parts in this play where people are not saying anything, but they are reacting to what is being said. And those are really great parts. There are gestures, there are facial expressions that I think the audience in this theater will be able to pick up on all of those and it will make it such a much richer experience than, I mean, the lines are amazing. The lines are great. You're going to get the jokes. But seeing people react to the things that are said, I think, brings a whole other dimension to this. So I think I think this is one of those plays that, I, I know it wasn't originally done in a theater like this, but I think it is just 
it's the perfect play to do in in a theater like Talking Horse. Well, I thought it'd be fun to have you both perform a small exchange. And I couldn't find any section of the play that wasn't fruity with expletives. <laughs> Has anyone done an expletive count for this play? <laughs> I don't think we we have. We probably should. The hilarious thing about this play is that my very first play was Glengarry Glenn Ross, which, of course, is another expletive-laden play, and my character didn't curse once in that entire play. I am making up for lost time. <laughs> you definitely are. I I, honestly, though, one of my favorite lines is a particularly filthy description of Leonard in which I use the F word, I think, four times in the space of a sentence. So, Yeah, when, when, when Kate says that, I want to step out from behind the curtain and just wave to the crowd and just say, yeah, she's talking about me. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and perform a little bit. I love the bit earlier, very early on in the play, where Leonard is disparaging Kate's work, the references her love of Jane Austen, because his dismissal of her six years of work without even bothering to finish the first sentence of her piece is just so hilariously perfect. So maybe you could just do it and I'll either bleep out the expletives or, you know, we'll, we'll have an X-rated version. Okay, well, good, well <laughs> right. good luck with bleeping it out. So, so we're going to start from you have Kate's work in your hand and, and they're trying to get you to focus on delivering your commentary on it. So you go ahead and start and uh, <laughs> then Erin can come in. Yeah, right. So what were we talking about? The first sentence. Oh, yeah. Christ. I remember now. Oh, Christ. When truth is acknowledged universally, it is also universally disdained. I mean, what the fuck? I can't even... That's not the whole sentence. Yeah. I see the semicolon, and I understand that means there's only a partial stop, and that more is coming, but I'm not sure I want to continue, okay? I mean, I'm not even making it through your first sentence. So why don't you tell me what you're doing? Because it's not exactly drawing me in here. What am I? What are you? Yes. What are you doing? I'm. It's a referencing of Jane Austen, the first sentence of Pride and Prejudice. It's kind of a sardonic commentary. What's so fucking sardonic about it? It's the narrator. She's... I don't give a shit about the narrator. If I can't get past the first five words, how the fuck am I supposed to find out enough about the narrator to care about him? It's not a him, it's a her. Well, see, then that would be my point. If I can't even tell what gender your narrator is, then you really haven't done your job, have you? How? If you don't go past the first five words, how can you tell? Listen to me. Don't defend yourself. If you're defending yourself, you're not listening. I do know who your narrator is. She's an overeducated, completely inexperienced, sexually inadequate girl who has rich parents who give her everything and has nothing to say. So she sits around and thinks about Jane Austen all the time. I don't give a shit about that person. This is what I'm saying. I don't have to go past the first five words because I already know enough and I don't give a shit. <laughs> oh my God, it's so good. I love the New York Times reviewer's comment that he delighted hearing Mr. Rickman pronounce semicolon with a pinching <laughs> nasality that turns a punctuation mark into a symptom of terminal constipation. <laughs> Oh, there's so many great lines in this. So opening night is coming right up. And I'm curious what kind of emotional relationship you have with that opening night. How are you feeling, David? Honestly, I'm very excited about opening night. We're at the point in rehearsals where 
we just need an audience. You know, mm-hmm. we just need to hear <laughs> audience reaction to what we're saying to find out, you know, what they're responding to. I mean, we know the sections that we like and we know the sections <laughs> that make our production staff laugh because, it, 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 I mean, they're, they're pretty dependable on certain parts. But we really need, just need to have have some fresh eyes and ears on it to, to kind of get new reactions to it. I, and I think that's something we're really looking forward to. Yes. Erin, are you ready to get out in front of an audience? Absolutely. I've actually had the countdown going in our Facebook group, reminding everyone how many days we have left until opening night, because I am, this is one I think I'm probably more excited about opening night for this one than I, I have ever been. I just, I cannot wait for people to see this. Well, the Teresa Rebeck Plays Seminar, directed by Russ Scott and featuring David McSpadden, Erin Matteson, Clifton Satterfield, Ginger Corley, and Forrest Duncan will be at Talking Horse Productions in Columbia for two weekends, Friday the 17th to Sunday the 19th and Thursday the 23rd to Sunday the 26th of February. As Talking Horse Productions is a small black box theatre, I would recommend that you reserve your tickets in advance, which you can do at talkinghorseproductions.org. David McSpadden and Erin Matteson, I am so looking forward to coming to see your Leonard and Kate. Thank you so much for making time to chat. Well, thank, thank you for you having so us, Diana. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much.